morning, Overlake. It is wonderful to be with you this morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Why don't you grab your notes out of your handout? You see, we're continuing our series through a Glorious Mess, and it is a walkthrough of the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 1 today. Um, this was a crazy week. It was a glorious messy week this week. And uh, just a show of hands, how many of you were inconvenienced in one way or another this week because of the blizzard? Yeah, that's almost all of us. Um, We got stuck in the snow, couldn't get to our house because of the hill and and, uh, the snow and all that. I, I just wanted to share with you that Um, We got stuck. I was trying to take my son and his friend home and uh, we got stuck in the side of a snowbank. So I got out of the car and pushed and I put my nine year old behind the wheel. I don't even need to finish the story. It was messy. And uh, that's kind of a, like a lot of our lives. And, and uh, here's the deal. God meets us right in the middle of the mess. And that's what the, the book of Jonah reveals to us. Now, here's the problem with the book of Jonah. So many people in today's world have just written it off. Just, uh, you know, it has nothing to say to me today. And, and, and I think the church bears some of the blame for that, for the way that we've presented Jonah in the past. In fact, we were searching the archives to see... See, how has the church portrayed Jonah to the people? And and we found this video. I hope you enjoy this this morning. Jonah, the musical. My name is Jonah. I'm kind of a loner. God gave me instructions, but now I'm a running. I'm a running man, I'm a running man, running from the great I am. I'm a running man, I'm a running man, hope that I don't pull a hamstring. With the Tribulation Trio, as those wacky Ninevites. I said, hey, 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 Ninevites, listen, everyone. Hey, hey, Ninevites, this'll be so fun. Unless you turn your ways, unless you get on board, Ninevites will be destroyed. I said, hey, hey, Ninevites, you got 40 days to get your act together. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) So there's a problem, right? This disconnect because God has given us his word. His word has so much to say about our lives. And and what I'd like to convince you of is that these words are in the scripture for a reason. They're for us today. And and they're for us to recognize that God is the one who spun the entire universe into existence. That he's the one who was the creator of light as both wave and particle. We don't understand that. He he was the one who created 
in pleasure and love. And he is capable of loving even the most stubborn human being, including you and me. So that's the God that I want to convince you of. And we're going to take as our, uh, our starting point when it comes to this book of Jonah. And as we take a look at the book of Jonah, we realize that it really does all start with a call. That's what we talked about last week. The call of God on each and every one of our lives. In the book of Jonah, the whole book starts with the voice of the Lord, right? The word of the Lord coming to Jonah because God had a call on his life. It all starts with a call. And the call that Jonah got was the call to go to Nineveh. Right, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Most of us don't have any kind of a framework for what Nineveh was like. Nineveh was a city. It was out on the Assyrian plain. It was tough and gritty like South Tacoma in the summertime. Super, mega, ultra tough. And, and Nineveh was just filled with the kind of people Jonah wasn't interested in. Uh, filled with people who didn't recycle and wore baby seal fur and smoked inside restaurants and used lead paint. Uh, all kinds of things uh, that Jonah just wasn't interested in. And at the same time, uh, Nineveh was actually the oppressor. So Israel had to send a tribute yearly to the king of Nineveh. So there was this oppression relationship going on. And, and so all of these things, they made Jonah not excited about his call. And so God's call comes to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Uh, it's a great city, but they're evil and we need to straighten some things out or we're going to have some words. And, and so Jonah... We'll take a look at it. He doesn't respond well. Now, we don't know what Jonah had going on in his life at the time. We don't know the circumstances that he was living in, the mess that surrounded his life. We don't know if he had just launched a ministry resource, just opened a profit hotline, just started a kosher deli. We don't know what Jonah had going on in his life, but that's good because it means suddenly you and I can identify exactly with him. Because so often what happens is, is God's call comes to us right in the middle of our circumstances. And we try to brush it off. Oh God, that call can't be for me because I'm just a, a businessman. Or I'm just a, a housewife. Or I'm just a student. Or I'm just a software developer. Or whatever the I'm just a looks like in your world. We think because there are all these circumstances in our lives that God's call can't come to us. And, and so we put it off. Well, I'll answer God's call when I get myself a little more put together. Or I'll answer God's call when my life slows down a little bit. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Right? Or, uh, we, we just put it off. And, and I want you to understand that God's call comes to us right in the midst of the mess of our lives. And it happened in Jonah's life as well. We talked last week about how the word of the Lord comes to, to the Lord's servants. And as a servant, how a servant responds with obedience. In fact, we talked about that as a, a preemptive posture. That we would be preemptively obedient before God's call even comes to us. That we would be ready to say yes. We would be ready to do what it is that he calls us to do. Well, let's take a look at how Jonah responds. This is verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, so God called Jonah, his servant, and Jonah ran from God like a kid runs naked from the bathtub. That's what we see in the scripture. And many times we push back against God, we run from God because we have our own agenda. That was Jonah. Now we don't have to conclude that he was running to Tarshish for some kind of an evil intent. We don't have to decide that he was going to go there and begin to vandalize grade schools or distribute medical marijuana. Like, there's no reason for us to ascribe anything evil. Now, he might have thought that he was going to do good things. Oh, I'll go to Tarshish and I'll start a Bible study. I'll go to Tarshish and tell people about the love of God. I'll start a ministry to feed the homeless pugs of Tarshish. I, I don't know what Jonah had in mind. We don't have to conclude that he was going for an evil intent. But what you do need to understand is it doesn't matter what he's running to. The point is he was running from God's call. Now, the Bible makes it clear that there are two kinds of sins that we might be involved in. You can write these down in, in the margin somewhere. The first is this idea of sins of commission. Right? These are acts or deeds that we do. We commit these wrongs. So this could be the lie you tell when you make a baby cry, when you steal your kid's Halloween candy, these kinds of things. These are are activities that you engage in, sins that we commit, sins of commission. But the Bible also makes it clear that there is another type of sin that we're involved in. These are sins of omission. Not sins of commission, sins of omission, where we fail to do what is right. When you don't help someone in need, you don't own a single U2 album. You run away from the thing that God calls you to do, right? You've omitted something that's good. And and the Bible's clear, that's a sin as well. In fact, look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. All right, so take a moment and let's make this personal. Is there something in your life that you feel God nudging you to do? Is there a person in your life you feel God prompting you to reach out to? Is there a call, right? This this word from God coming to you and calling you, prompting you, nudging you in a certain direction to do a certain thing, to serve a certain way, And you're not doing it. It's a sin of omission. And that's where we find Jonah. Now, God will help you in that call, but you need to be willing to do what he's calling you to do. And and, and if you don't, you're going to find yourself running from God. And that's where Jonah is, and it's a problem. As a pastor, I, I know several couples who are struggling in their marriages, and we know that marriage is, there's many challenges in marriage and there are difficult issues and no innocent parties. And when times are tough in the world of marriage, the lure is escape your covenant and run. You know what? There's a, a ship to Tarshish and it's waiting for you right here. As a pastor, I know a lot of other pastors in the world, in America, and I know that there are times when being a pastor is difficult. 
And as I talk to friends and I see sort of the journey and I walk it myself, I know that when times get tough in church world, the temptation is to abandon your post and run. To, to stop caring about the kingdom and wherever it is that God's calling you and just bail. And it's that, that ship to Tarshish. It's right there. It looks like a luxury dinner cruise. I know many, many people here at Overlake, many who are walking a road of sobriety in one way or another through our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And as they walk that road, I think they're heroic. But I know the siren song that's in their ears all the time. It's abandon your sobriety, act out, jump on the ship to Tarshish. Right? It's those travel posters. They look so good. See, I don't know what the Tarshish is in your world. I don't know where the temptation is to run from God. Maybe for some of you, it's just that you know you are employed full time. And yet every week, you know in your heart that you're goofing off about 10 hours a week. Maybe for you, it's you feel the call of God in your life. I'm going to connect with my spouse every night. But every night you go to the television and you start to click around. And you know in your heart, you're running. You're on the boat to Tarshish. So I don't know what it is in your world, but, but I know that there are many, many ways that as humans in a fallen world, we're tempted to run from God. So here's the question. How do you run from God? We're talking about God, right? God who is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. We don't inform him of our situation. God who is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. Our problems never, ever stump him. God who is omnipresent. That means he's always present. He's never absent from our need. So the question is, how do you run from a God like that? I saw this resource once. It was uh, very, very interesting. It was a series of photographs. And it started in the infinite reaches of space. And it was just a photograph, and I don't, maybe even a composite, but many, many different galaxies there uh, on this kind of infinite black horizon. And each photograph um, focused in, you know, exponentially onto something. So it was much clearer than the photograph that preceded it. So it went from several galaxies. Next photo was just one galaxy. And the next photo honed in on an arm of that galaxy. And the next photo on several suns. And then the next photo just on one sun with some planets orbiting. And then next photo on one of the planets, a blue marble orbiting the sun. And then the next, even closer in, you could identify it was Earth. And the next one in on a continent. And the next one in on a region. And the next one in on a city. And the next one in on a neighborhood. And just kept going down, down, telescopically. And the next one in on a, a tree in a yard. And the next one in on the leaf. And then the next one on the veins of the leaf. And then it went in to the leaf. And into the cells that made up the leaf. And then it kept going into the, the molecules making up the cells. And then it, even into the atoms itself. And it kept going down and down into the infinite reaches of inner space. With its quarks and its neutrons and electrons until the final picture looked very similar to the beginning picture. It was this incredible resource, and I thought about buying it and showing it to you, but it was like eight bucks, and I was like, eight bucks? <laughs> but you think about that for a moment. So he, he, here's God. Not only did he make it all, he sees it all, 
And he sees it all simultaneously, all of history simultaneously. How would you run from a God like that? You can't. I mean, that's what scripture says, right? In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You can't run from God. So don't even try, right? It's like that old song by the police. Every breath you take, every move you make, every cake you bake, every smile you fake, I'll be watching you. A little bit like Santa, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. This is God. And he is all over the place. Where could we go to hide from him? And if you're filling in the blanks, that's the first truth. I'd love for us to take and, and walk with and wrestle with. It's a glorious mess. Doesn't try to hide from God. We understand that is operation futile. No success possible in that endeavor. And if we learn anything from Jonah, it's that you can't run from God. Let's continue to go through the scripture. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. You might want to underline that phrase. Each cried out to his own God. Now, the truth is everyone has a God, or many. And in this scenario, they're, they're, they're you know, pagan gods with, with names that would be unfamiliar to you and to me. But the truth is everyone has, has gods. And especially in a moment of crisis, right, as these sailors were in, they're throwing up their prayers like grappling hooks. Help, help, help. Crying out to their God for, for safety. Crying out to their God for rescue. Crying out to their God to be at peace. Now, in America today, we don't have the same kinds of names for our gods, but we have many, many. And if this is one of your ultimate concerns, then you have a God that's an idol just like this. And the gods we have in America are gods like materialism, money, or connections, relationships, family, possessions, food, drink, politics, pleasure. Now, these things aren't necessarily bad on their own, not at all. It can be quite good, quite healthy and positive. The problem is if it's your ultimate concern, if that's where you go, your medication, if that's your go-to, then that's an idol in your life. And in this scenario, that's where we see these sailors are. Of course, they're all praying. Now, it's interesting to know, where is the prophet of God while all these sailors are praying to their gods? Uh, Let's take a look at the next verse. It says, they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten their ship. It was very hectic in this moment. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So, what I want you to notice next is that the captain of the boat wakes Jonah up and tells him to pray. The, the pagan captain tells the prophet of God to pray. Now understand this. God can use anybody, any circumstance, anywhere, anytime to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. 
So he uses this captain in this moment. It says, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So casting lots is this ancient way of drawing straws, rolling the dice. They, they do this, you know, it's a little bit superstitious, but to find out who's the guilty party, it landed on Jonah. He happened to be the guilty party. So they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, You might want to underline that phrase because it represents an entirely orthodox theology. He knows who he is and he knows who he worships. I am a Hebrew, a special relationship with God Almighty. This is God Almighty who created all things, the land and the sea. I'm a worshiper of this God. His theology is impeccable. The problem is his lifestyle is completely contradictory, is it not? Here he gives a perfectly orthodox answer, but his lifestyle is unorthodox. He's running from that God. He's not doing what that God wants him to do. He's abandoning that call. He's trying to flee from God. I bring this up because I just want to point out, there are many believers who live in that tension a lot. They have really good theology. It's just their life doesn't show what their theology states. It's a tension. You've got to beware of that. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Check this out. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I love that parenthetical comment. I love it because I'm a dad. I have three elementary school kids in my home. And so every story I hear is non-linear, non-sequential, parenthetically inserted, Tarantino-style kind of stories. So this story makes me happy, like home. Uh, That was for free, by the way. Uh, Let's keep going. It says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. This is the first glimmer of hope in this quickly hopeless chapter. Jonah says, I'm responsible. In fact, if you're filling in the blanks, that's the filling. Glorious mess is responsible. Jonah says, it's me. It's, It's my fault. I'm the one. I'm running from God. I'm the one doing this. It's me. And I just want you to understand, if if you and I can get to that place, this place, Jonah is right here. He's responsible. He understands the consequences of his actions. He's ready to step up. He's going to own it. When you and I get to that place, we have taken a profound step forward in our spiritual journey. Amazingly healthy for us. A glorious mess is responsible. He says, it's me. I'm the one running from God. Next verse. Instead... The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So he tells them, hey, throw me into the sea. They don't want to. They start rowing. The problem is they're rowing against God. Now, I just want you to understand, here's another picture of Operation Feudal. This is a hopeless scenario. You can't row harder than God. You just can't do it. I mean, this is like... 
Um, Piers Brosnan versus Daniel Craig in a 007 off, right? Just hopefully. This, this is like Godzilla versus Bambi. Okay, just, just that's like a, a hopeless scenario. The worst place you could ever find yourself is in a rowing competition against God. He's going to win, right? Hands down. So I, I want to personalize this, um, and, and I'd ask you to do the same. What we see in Jonah's life, when we're not right with God, there are storms every direction we turn. So when you're out of alignment with God, everything else in your world, it's going to be a bit murky and a bit sticky. Family relationships, it's going to be difficulty there. Marriage, you're looking at career, you're looking at friendships, even the internal life that you're living. If you're not right with God, all of these other things are going to be affected. And I just want to share a little bit of my story. I mean, this could be my story, my testimony. Because I felt from an early age that God had a call on my life, that, that there was something that he wanted with my life, that, that he wanted to use my life so that other people could understand his love for them. But I didn't want that. I wanted my own agenda. So I began to run from God in little ways, high school and, and in college, and little dating relationships and my ego, popularity, the party, all this stuff. And so I was trying to build all kinds of life, fun and adventure. The problem was I was out of alignment with God. And so there was difficulty everywhere I turned, but most importantly, the internal life was a mess. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And so even though from the outside it looked like, oh gosh, it's just the life of the party, he's got the next adventure, the next travel, all this, it was me I was uncomfortable with because I was out of alignment with God. Now, I know that many of you could stand up and give a testimony, hey, that's where I've been, that's true. That when you're out of alignment with God, this vertical relationship, all of the other horizontal relationships are affected. If you think for a moment, it's a little bit like your spine, right? Spinal integrity, it's a hugely important reality. Because when your spine is in alignment, all of your horizontal movements, they, they're affected in a good way. Your muscles work good, your bones are all working together well, it's jiving together well. Even your health, all the systems internally, they're all functioning really well when there's good spinal integrity and alignment. But let's say you get struck by a car, rear-ended, you know, maybe like Wednesday night, you're at the QFC, it's a little slippery, boom, you get hit, some nine-year-old behind the car, <laughs> don't know what's going on there, and so suddenly you're out of alignment, and there's a kink in your back, and, and, and if you leave that there, the pain that, that exists, it will continue to degrade, and all of the movements, movements that should be no problem. If you're out of alignment, you can't pick up a bag of groceries. You can't, well, you can't even get in and out of the car. Like everything becomes affected horizontally when there's no vertical alignment. So that's why when we come to Overlake, I get to play the role of spiritual chiropractor from time to time. You know these guys that they're like, okay, relax, relax. And you're like, ooh, <laughs> that felt good. I get to play that role. And I get to help get us back in alignment with God. 
Because we understand that when we're in alignment with God, all of our horizontal relationships are affected in a way that is good. His blessing begins to flow on all these other areas of our lives. That's why I get to proclaim with great joy, wake up from your sleep. Cry out to your God. Let's get right with God today. Let's get realigned to his calling on us. Let's, let's get back into the place where we are in obedience and alignment with him. Friends, God does not want your destruction. God wants your attention. The things that he has for you are too big and too good to put on hold. So run to him. Don't run away from him. And watch him do things of greatness that you never would have dreamed. But regardless of your response, regardless of Jonah's response, I want you to notice something very, very interesting. And it's just a reminder to me that God is bigger. Doesn't matter how big the story is, how big we are, God is always bigger. Check this out. The scripture says, they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, check this out, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Check this out. Jonah failed in his mission, at least up to this point. Jonah is an absolute failure, and yet all of the sailors praise God. Sometimes we think that God can only use our successes. We think that God can only use our victories. That it's only when we're hitting everything out of the park that that's the only thing he can use. Friends, God is bigger. God can use your failure. God can use your defeat. God can use your stumble. He can use your authenticity. God can use anything so that his kingdom can advance so that he can receive glory. So I want to tell you, this may be the best news I have ever preached from this pulpit. This is better news than summer, okay? I got to tell you, the fact that God can use anything in your life for his glory, that frees us up so that we can relax into his grace, so that we can just relax in his presence and just be with him. So Jonah, he missed it, but yet God used the story anyway. So these men, they recognized that Jonah's God was in fact God. That this was God who created the storm, created the wave, created the sea, created the wind, created the earth, and everything. And they were in awe of this God. They were in awe of this God who not only would create it all, control it all, but he would care enough about an individual to come after him. And they were in awe of this God. That's the next filling. A glorious mess is in awe of God. Recognizing that God is not only infinitely knowing, God is not only incredibly powerful, pervasively present, but that he is all loving. That love is not just a character quality of God's, it is God's character. God is love. And I just want to ask this question. When was the last time we were in awe of God? Just praised him. Just we're satisfied with his presence in our lives. A glorious message in awe of God. His irresistible, overwhelming, limitless love. We are in awe of this God. 
And last week we talked about the call of God on our lives. The servant responds to a call of God with obedience. And so I really want to encourage you as we wrestle through this idea of running from God. That you would understand a glorious mess responds to God's call with obedience. That there really is a a response that God seeks from us. That we would respond by obeying his call. By saying yes to his call. Um, Instead of running from him, that we would say yes to him. And even understanding, why does it feel tempting to run from God's call? When we sense God's nudge, why is it that we look in another direction? Do some introspection for a moment. Is it fear? Are we afraid? Maybe we're afraid of failure. That we'll fail. Whatever God calls us to, that that, that we'll blow it like Jonah did. See, maybe it's that you just doubt yourself so much. You don't doubt God, right? You just doubt yourself. You know God can accomplish infinite things, but you look in the mirror every day. You're not that impressed with what you see. Maybe for you, you're like, I know God can accomplish all kinds of things in a weekly task list. I've read Genesis 1. I've seen that list. On the other hand, I know me and my Christmas lights are still up. And it's June, you know. See, I I wonder if when God's call comes, his nudging, his prompting, you just immediately disqualify yourself. Oh, God, you got the wrong guy or you got the wrong gal. If that's you, I just refer you to Scripture. Right? You remember Moses, and, and Moses heard God's call, and then he spent some time telling God, God, you got the wrong guy. Maybe you think of Gideon. Gideon heard God's call, and then he spent some time telling God, God, you got the wrong guy. Maybe you remember Abraham's wife, Sarah, and the call of God came on them, and, and Sarah spent some time laughing at God and telling him, you really got the wrong guy. He's old and the wrong gal. And the point I'm trying to make is that God's heard that excuse before from better people than you. And he's not that impressed. It doesn't seem to faze him. So what is it that's preventing you from, from saying yes to God's call? Maybe we are afraid that what God is going to call us into is not that great somehow. It's less than what we would want. And if that's you, then I think the real issue would be trust. And so I would address it this way. Please understand that God's call doesn't come into your life in order to steal your life. His call comes in in order to bring you life. That God will never dash your best. He will only break your mediocrity. That what God is calling you into is exactly what is best for you, most glorious for him, and best for the advance of his kingdom. That's this interesting, mysterious reality of God's call on us, that there is this incredible win when we're in alignment. But it takes trust. See, I don't know what you're afraid of when it comes to this conversation of God's call, but whatever you are afraid of, understand what God says. I don't give you a spirit of fear, he says. Instead, I give you my spirit, which is a spirit of power. How Jesus responds to this idea of fear in Mark chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. I declare that to you today. Don't be afraid any longer. Don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of God's call. Instead, believe. Believe that he will never leave you or forsake you. 
Believe that his call is the very best thing for you, for his kingdom, for his glory. Your heart's deep longing involved in his call. Believe. Let Christ calm your fears. Believe. And the last feeling here is a glorious mess. Delights in God's love. Delights in God's love. And you might say, Mike, that's an unusual point to draw to this passage because here's the story as I heard you tell it. A guy runs from God who's all over him like Jason Bourne and he faces a storm that will kill everyone unless he himself goes overboard. So he convinces pagan soldiers to heave him seaward so that he can end his own life in quiet desperation knowing that he failed to do the one thing that God called him to do. I fail to see the delight or the love. So you want the delight, here's the delight. Wait for it, here it is. For Jonah, he thought it was the end. But for God, it was just the beginning. See, Jonah had run from God and he was seeking an ending. And God ran faster than Jonah and pursued him and was seeking a beginning. And that's true for Jonah, and that's true for you and for me as well. See, I don't know, in a room this big with this many people, I would bet that there are some, if not many of us, who have been running from God. Maybe you've been running from God in in terms of the things that you've been doing, right? The, The sins of commission. Maybe these are decisions that you're making in your lifestyle. Maybe these are, these are choices that you're making in terms of selfishness or pleasure. The things that you're prioritizing in your life. I, I, I don't know what those are, but, but maybe you're right now recognizing, I'm running from God. In the things that I'm choosing for me, in the ways that I'm going, and the way that I'm stiff-arming God's call, I'm running from Him. But maybe others of you, you're not... You're not blowing it hardcore. You're not committing all kinds of, of sinful activity. What, what you're doing is, is it's a sin of omission. Because you know the call of God in your life. You, you sense where he's leading you. You sense the risk that he's asking you to take. And you know you're not doing it. That's where Jonah was. Whatever the story is for you, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, here's what I want to assure you of. That no matter how far you run, how fast you run, no matter where that ship is that you've boarded that runs from God is going, I don't know what it looks like for you, but however you're running, you need to know God is running after you. He loves you. His love, the Bible says, is unconditional. And it's unfailing. And it's unending. His love for you is relentless love. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to pursue you. Eons before you ever thought to call out to Jesus. Jesus has been calling out to you. He's the one who took the initiative. He knew you'd try to run. And so he's come to find you. Jesus has come to find you and forgive you. He's come to grace you. He's come to give you salvation. He's come to love you. So wherever you're running and however far you've gone, I want to encourage you to stop running today 
and to turn around and embrace the open arms of Jesus Christ. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for these truths. The cross stands forever as a reminder of your love, which is unconditional, unending, and unfailing. And today, in big ways and small ways, we realize we've been running from you. And so we confess these things and we lay them down. And instead, Lord, we turn to you and we embrace you. We ask that you would readjust us and realign us so that we would be in a right relationship with our Father God. So that we could be in a place to receive his love, to hear his call, to to have all of our horizontal relationships blessed. Because we are in a right standing with God. Jesus, we want to respond with obedience to your call today. We ask that you would clearly meet us, that your call would be clear on us, and that you would give us the courage to step through our fear and to respond. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.